This B-Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. Loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers, IXL enhances your teaching and takes work off your plate so you can make an even bigger impact on your students. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights. Strengthen daily instruction, close knowledge gaps quickly, and set every student up for success. Want to bring IXL to your school? Learn more at IXL.com B-E. That's IXL.com B-E. We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, my flex learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash B-E. Welcome to the Cybertraps podcast. I am Jethro Jones coming to you from Washington. I am the host of the podcast Transformative Principle and author of the book School X, How to Redesign Your School for the People Right in Front of You. I am a former principal at all levels of K-12 education. Greetings, everyone. I'm Frederick Lane, an author, attorney, and educational consultant based in Brooklyn, New York. I'm the author of 10 books, including most recently Cyber Traps for Educators 2.0, Raising Cyberethical Kids, and Cyber Traps for Expecting Moms and Dads. Jethro and I have teamed up to bring timely, entertaining, and useful information to teachers, parents, kids of older parents, and others about the risks arising from the use and misuse of digital devices. Over the coming weeks and months, we'll be talking to some of the world's leading experts from the fields of education, parenting, sociology, and cyber safety. Join us as we look at what it takes to better navigate our increasingly high-tech world. The Cyber Travis Podcast is a production of the Center for Cyber Ethics, an independent, nonpartisan educational institute dedicated to the study and promotion of cyber ethics as a positive social force through research, curricular development, publishing and media, professional training, and public advocacy. We would like to extend our thanks to our initial mission partner, Buoyancy Digital, which is, we are pleased to say, proud to be the inaugural mission partner for the Cybertraps podcast series. Buoyancy Digital is a digital advertising consultancy with an ethos. ethos. It was founded by Scott Rabinowitz, who has been in digital media since 1997 and has overseen $300 million in youth safety compliant ad buys across all digital platforms. For IAB, Google, and Bing accredited brand and audience safe advertising sales solutions, media buying, and organizational training, for media publishers, reach out to Scott Rabinowitz at Scott R Media on LinkedIn or visit buoyancydigital.com. Hey there, Jethro. Good to see you on this Thursday, Fred. Good to be here. 
We have a great guest lined up today. Uh, Scott Schober is the author of three best-selling security books, Senior Cyber, Hacked Again, and Security is Everybody's Business. He has dedicated himself to educating as many people as possible by telling his own stories of being hacked with the hope that others can learn from his mistakes. As a lifelong technology innovator and inventor, Scott began seeking ways to help seniors seamlessly adapt to our ever-technological world based on his and his brother Craig's experiences with their elderly parents and the myriad of questions from a growing elderly population. In Senior Cyber, Scott and Craig pick apart a multitude of cybersecurity scams that relate directly to the financial, socioeconomic, and health and well-being of all seniors by offering simple advice for all levels of cybersecurity for grandparents, grandchildren, and everyone in between. In addition to his wonderful books, Scott is a highly sought-after author and expert for live security events, media appearances, and commentary on topics of ransomware, wireless threats, drone surveillance and hacking, cybersecurity for consumers, and small business. And you can see him on pretty much anywhere you turn on the TV. Scott, welcome to the Cybertraps podcast. Yeah, great to be here, guys. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, we're excited to talk with you. As, as I think just about everybody who is listening, we probably have some elderly people in our life that we would love to help keep safe. And so I want to start just by asking the obvious question is, why do we need to concern ourselves so much with our elderly relatives and others? Um, and why are they targeted so much by scammers and hackers? Yeah, absolutely. I think when we analyze cybersecurity, and, and again, I've, for the past 10 plus years, I've been talking about this. And even myself, I tend to talk to the audience that's more coworkers and colleagues and peers, people of my age. And as I started to help my elderly parents, and at the time my grandfather was 99 years old, still very active on the internet, computers, email, technology, I noticed they had a lot of stressful situations and frustrations and scammers targeting them in all different ways, everything from phone, through email, through the mail, you name it. And I started to think about it. Every time I get a phone call, I said, it's got to be a, it's got to be a better source. There's got to be a video out there. Or there's got to be a book that, so I started looking and, and surprisingly, there wasn't a whole lot of information. The little bit I did find, I started reading. I said, it, it talks down to the senior. It almost intimidates them a little bit by using a lot of acronyms and jargon that are more techie that I think they, they kind of shy away from. And, and some of the information they couldn't relate to, at least from my perspective, I said, geez, you know, what's missing in the industry is somebody that's writing to the senior about technology and cybersecurity and some basic common sense, best practices that they can implement. So hopefully they can be empowered. So they do embrace technology and use it and, and that they actually can get some use out of it and feel good and get the benefits of the technology and not live in fear or denial. As many seniors, I quickly found out as I interviewed them and talked to them besides those just that I'm related to. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And one of the things that, that it frustrates me is, is the, what you mentioned about talking down to them and how they have, they've been around for a long time, obviously, cause they're older and they have experienced a lot. And one of the situations that, that I've experienced in helping my grandparents with things is talking to them about things and treating them like they can understand it, even if it's difficult for them, because it's wildly different from what they grew up with, but treating them 
out on that equal footing and not saying, well, you're old and dumb and you don't get it. I mean, they can see through it. And I remember one very clear conversation with my grandpa. <laughs> he said, basically, Jethro, quit talking to me like you're dumb. Like I'm dumb. I changed your diaper or something along those lines. And I, I don't think my grandpa ever did change my diaper, but you know, he, he was certainly expressing, I'm not an idiot just because I'm older than you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that, that really speaks well to the point, my same frustration, I think that I've learned from my grandfather. I've learned from my parents. I continue to learn from my parents because they do have wisdom through life's experiences. Some of the things which I just never have experienced yet, just because maybe I'm not old enough and that's okay. However, if I'm embracing technology, perhaps at a faster rate, I want to, again, keep them on the same plane and speak the same language. And I'm hoping that senior cyber to some degree does that. It levels the, the, the playing field and it really opens up the conversation. What, what do we know we all do? And I, I, I'm, I'm guilty of this and my family's guilty of this. I have two young kids. Uh, we sit at the dinner table or we hang out. Everybody's glued to what? Their smartphone technology, playing games, streaming videos or smartphone, whatever it is, instead of communicating. And I'm hoping to some degree, senior cyber will open up those channels of communication that were very popular generations ago when you, when you maybe only had one TV with a, a couple channels to watch. Now you've got what a TV with hundreds of channels and nothing to watch, right? It's kind of that ironic thing that we, we have these are distractors to technology uh, for the most part. And, and there's some good to it too, but hoping that these conversations can open up where you could sit down with maybe your aging parent as a, a caregiver, your grandparent and, and say, Hey, t tell me about that phone call that you got. What were they asking? Were you suspicious? Um, did, did you turn the conversation around? I always encourage people consider, put them on the defensive and say, Oh, hold on. In case this gets disconnected. What was your name again? What was your phone number? And a lot of times what happens with a scammer? Click, they, they get nervous. They don't want to divulge any information. So actually somebody senior can, can take control of the conversation and actually control the privacy. What do they have to give out or hold true and dear to them? And most of the time, it's not that you have to be a quick thinker or this or that. It, it, it's really just, you have to be empowered and feel enough confidence. So I think it's important having these conversations about cybersecurity, technology, uh, scammers, all the things that are out there each and every day on a regular basis. And when we do have that as a family and we sit down with our grandparents or aging parents, I think it's really going to start to make a difference and they'll feel better. And, and the benefit is we'll all get closer, which I think is really important. Well, that's certainly true. I, I think that one of the challenges is the way in which families tend to be so spread out these days. So it's, it can be difficult to get everybody involved or to respond in a timely fashion. I mean, I'm fortunate that I have three siblings who live relatively close to my parents, but I'm several hundred miles away and it's, it, I, I feel that, that distance. But I think one of the things that that I'd love to hear you reflect upon is that there are legitimate challenges that arise as people get older and technology unfortunately plays a role in victimization. So what are the kinds of things that you're seeing? What are the major topics that people should be aware of? Well, certainly that is definitely true. And I see it from a couple different areas. So take me just, we're talking about 
phone scams in a sense. That's a hot one. That's, it's often a starting point where somebody's trying to, in a sense, socially engineer, get information out of a senior. And, and I, I reflect, and I talked about this a little bit in senior cyber as well. Think about the dynamics of somebody that's a senior. When they grew up throughout their life, they're used to what? A phone on the wall. That was probably a rotary phone, right? A single phone in the house. And when that phone rang out of respect, what did you typically do? You'd go over on one or two rings and you'd say, hello, the Shoba residents may I help you. Very polite, courteous, responsive. The phone rings in my home. And again, I'm not knocking my family. No one answers it. And yes, we still have a landline phone, even though it's a. I was going to say, do phone. you still have a line, a landline yeah. phone? That's the crazy part of this. Whole I know conversation. that's very, <laughs> very few, but it is voice over IP. It's, it just kind of comes as a bonus through our broadband provider. But I think it's funny. The phone rings and we all sit around like this and no one gets up and gets it. And we say, well, if it's really important, they'll leave a message. That message is then emailed to our smartphone so we could look and listen and so on and so forth. But, but looking at that, just look at the dynamics, how it's changed over the number of decades. So think about this, the fact that scammers and cyber criminals know that. They know if they called somebody that's up there in age, perhaps 70, 80 plus years old, more than likely they're going to answer the phone politely. And it's also respectful if they're asked a question, they're going to answer it. So they can use that to their advantage to socially engineer information. On top of that, often, not always, but often, seniors have a little more spare time and sometimes they're lonely. They want to talk to somebody. So now what comes into play, and this happened with my grandfather extensively. He was um, a very wise investor throughout his life. He worked at, at Bell Labs for well over 40 years and Murray Hill worked on the first satellite Telstar project with satellites that went to space. And he was a gifted man, really new technology, loved ham radio, loved communication, loved the internet, loved trading stocks. Well, as he got up there in his senior age bracket, he started getting a lot of calls from investors and some were le legitimate investors and some were really scammers saying, Mr. Schober, you are such a great investor and you're so smart and you're wonderful at I've got this, you know, incredible stock, these remote oil wells in Mongolia or whatever it was, I just need a little bit of money. And, and, you know, the return is going to be a hundred percent and they, they guarantee everything, but by, by kind of feeding his ego a little bit and telling him he's a wise investor and he's smart and really all seniors can think about that. If somebody is maybe to the point where they're praising you and congratulating you and telling you how gifted you are use caution. And that's, I think that's the importance of, again, communicating with family members, communicating as a caregiver to, to your senior parents or your grandparents that you can then step in and ask some questions. So senior cyber helps the older ones, but it also helps those that are caring for older people in dealing specifically in this case with, with phone scams. Uh, my grandfather was, was fooled and I'll, I'll share just a brief story. He, he got a phone call and he said, they said, congratulations. You just won a prize. You won, a, I think it was a thousand dollars in free gasoline, which was kind of strange, but he was like, oh, great. And all we need is just your credit card to, for a small processing fee of $6 or something like that. Hold on, let me go get it. He gets it. And after the fact, and obviously he was scammed and they took a couple thousand dollars. The next day it was gone out of his account. He didn't get it back. We're sitting down saying, grandpa, what were you thinking? He goes, well, I, I thought 
I would get this gasoline and give it away to all you, all the grandkids, give them each 20 gallons for their car or something. I'm like, you don't even have a car. You don't drive yet. How would they bring you a thousand gallons of gas? Makes no sense. So sometimes the logic, it's too good to be true. You're just thinking on the prize and you get distracted. So I always encourage people, pause, think about it, ask a few questions, write a few notes so you can talk to your son, your daughter, your grandchild just to vet it a little bit before you get fooled in some of these phone scams and never, ever, ever give anybody your credit card over the phone. They do not need that. Never. Well, that's pretty similar to what my grandfather experienced that he was scammed somehow on the phone and then he started sending money to people and his desire was the same as your grandfather's that it was about helping my kids that if I get a bunch of money back, like they say, I will, then I will be able to pay off all my kids' mortgages and they'll be able to do this. And that's, that's an area also where, uh, at that stage in life, people are looking at leaving a legacy and wanting to be able to serve their kids and grandkids in a, in a powerful way that will leave an impact for the rest of their lives. And, and it's a, a, an easy in for someone else who is scamming them. And it's really tragic because they're preying on, on that desire to, do something good. And it's, it's really unfortunate, but that those aren't the only kind of scams we're talking about, you know, cybersecurity here. And sometimes the scammers are the people who say you need to buy a bunch of expensive equipment and do all this stuff to protect yourself when that's not necessarily the case either. So let's talk about why people trick people into doing that and, and what's going on there. Well, actually, Scott, if I may, let me just jump in because I think this will be directly relevant. Oh, my sister started going through my mother's accounts to try to straighten out some financial issues and discovered that she had these recurring charges for various types of computer security software, you know, that somehow she got pitched and sold. We're actually not sure how that happened, but, you know, at 40 or 50 bucks a month, you know, these charges just add up one after another. So oftentimes it's, it's not even technically a scam. I mean, she had a subscription to these services, but it was unneeded for her. And, and it's not something she was really in a position to use. Yeah. And, And you bring up a beautiful point. There is a plethora of subscription-based business models out there that are supposed to alert you if something happens to your, you know, what a, your credit, your identity, computer viruses or potential for computer viruses, you, anything under the sun that will trip a flag and they say that they're going to be proactively helping you, informing you, most of that. And and I mean, the majority of the things there, it's really monitoring and they're really pulling things off of the internet, which is actually public information for the most part and providing you a red flag alert on something. So the value of most of these subscription services is not that valuable. Now, the exception to that, if they get, sometimes people will say, well, what about LifeLock or some of these others that are more well-known? They've improved greatly in the beginning not so valuable. They've gotten better now because what they're doing is they're really scanning the dark web, looking for key credentials, your login credentials, your email address that you use to get onto different accounts. And if that appears in the dark web on some of these scam sites or in these large databases, 
they're going to correlate the, the actual breach, the data breach, say it was LinkedIn data breach and Scott Schober's login credentials pull it together and they're going to proactively alert me and say, Hey, in the past 30 days, LinkedIn was breached. Your name appeared on this database in the dark web, high probability that's going to be sold. What do you want to do? Number one, go change your password immediately. Number two, make sure you're not doing password re reuse where that same password is used across multiple platforms because the automated tools that these cyber criminals are going to use will try that same password, those same login credentials across multiple sites. So I, I really stress that in, in senior cyber and really whenever I present and talk to people, write about it, it's the importance of not reusing the same password across multiple login sites. Um, more than 50% of all computer users in the world still reuse the same password. Not only are they creating a weak password that's easy to hack, easy to remember, easy to hack, but they're reusing that again and again. So I can't emphasize that enough. One unique password for every single account that you have is very, very important. So what about some physical things that people can do like ATMs, gas uh, pumps, and, you know, even at the grocery store, keeping your credit card and uh, debit card information safe. What's your suggestion there? Absolutely. It's, it's a numbers game, unfortunately. In other words, what do I mean? When you shop at a select number of places that you've shopped there before and you go back and it's fairly safe, it's pretty good to keep going there. It's when you branch outside of that, typically when we travel, when we're going down the major interstate and go to a different gas station that we don't normally frequent where it's more people that are traveling, that's where typically we fall victim to skimmers and gas pumps. Very popular both traditional skimmers as well as Bluetooth skimmers. And what it simply is doing is really, it's exploiting the vulnerability we have in using old technology. The mag stripe on the back of our credit card or our debit card, anytime that gets put into a point of sale terminal or reader where there's a magnetic head that actually reads that magnetic stripe, a skimmer will pull that information off or CVV data, card number, expiration, so on and so forth puts it into a little bit of memory in a database and it stores every time somebody goes to that, again, gas pump, ETM, point of sale terminal, and a mag stripe goes in, the transaction goes through as normal. You pay for your gas, you pay for your groceries, whatever, but then there's a copy of it that's there and it's saved. If it's Bluetooth coupled to it, a Bluetooth skimmer, the thief will come within 75 foot proximity on a computer. They will pair and sync to that Bluetooth skimmer and download those hundreds of stolen credit cards that they get each and every day. Now, a lot of people will quickly say, ah, oh, that's okay, Scott. I've got a chip and pin card. Yeah, you do. But when it slides into the reader, guess what? There's a read head that will read the magnetic stripe. And again, it's still stealing your credit card. If you look on the back of your card and it does not have a mag stripe, then I say, guess what? You're a hundred times safer. However, if you look at the majority of all the credit cards throughout the United States, they still got that insecure mag stripe. So again, what can you do? Again, focus on places that you frequent that have been safe, that minimizes your chance of getting scammed. I always say cash is king. When I go to the gas pump, hate to say it, I'm going to whip out cash and pay for it. it. It's a little old school. And I think seniors of anybody can probably identify a little bit harder. They work hard for their money. 
and they buy only what they can afford. They don't get deep into credit card debt. So in some ways, seniors are more adept at adjusting to this recommendation by paying cash for things. And that, and that really can benefit them. Debit card and ATM, I try not to use it because they're so well targeted. There's a safe in the bottom of an ATM. It takes over three hours just to drill a quarter inch hole in that with a card by a bit to try to find way to start prying and breaking open that safe. In other words, the money is really safe in the safe in an ATM. However, the top half of the ATM opens up. It's very easy to open up. Each manufacturer, for, for the most part, has generic keys to open that part up so they can access and change the printer paper and so on and so forth, do basic maintenance on it. Money's below. The, the mechanism and stuff up here for the paper is easy to access. And unfortunately, it's also easy to plug in a skimmer, a Bluetooth skimmer into a top of an ETM, walk away and nobody knows about it. That's part of the problem. And the same thing true with the gas, gas pump, as I was just mentioning. There are six keys to open up the majority of all the gas pumps in the United States. They're very generic. I can go on eBay for 15 bucks. I can buy the key, put in the front, open it up, take my Bluetooth skimmer that I buy in the dark web and a couple hundred bucks, plug it into the top of the point of sale terminal, close the door, lock it, 15 to 20 seconds. I'm in business. I'm stealing hundreds of credit cards per pump. The average gas pump gets about $116,000 in stolen credit cards before they discover there's a skimmer in there. So it's extremely lucrative. Our credit cards are being compromised every day, which is resulting in cyber criminal gangs getting billions upon billions of dollars from just people pulling up to the pump. Big problem. And it's frightening to think about it at that scale that that could be going on. So what about data breaches? If uh, an elderly person doesn't have a lot of online accounts, then they're probably safe there. But, you know, many of us younger who have, you know, I've got like 1400 logins for different things on, on my, in my password manager. And so there's a ton out there. So, uh, what do we do about data breaches? It seems like there's a new one every other week or so. Yeah, th there is. And, and a part of it is you have to be willing to accept some risk. Part of it, you have to offset that risk by using strong passwords that you create and store into your little black book. I use a hybrid combination. And again, I have to be careful how I recommend it because each person is different. If you tell me you have 1400 passwords, having a little black book will not work for you. If you're a senior and you have five passwords, maybe you're on Amazon, Facebook, and a couple other sites, having a little black book might actually be good because you could take your time and write down create an obscure, long and strong password that you write in your book. The key to success for keeping passwords safe is not putting it on the sticky note that we all hear joke and we laugh about, yet everybody does it. When I visited my, um, my mother-in-law in an assisted living home a few years ago, I'd walk around and you could peer into the rooms or go to a little computer lab in the library. There were sticky notes everywhere, every password under the sun. Some of those accounts were for financial things, their stock portfolio, their retirement, and I'm just going, oh, why are they doing? I felt like pulling those sticky notes off there, but it would probably end their life because they don't know how to access it then. But that's well, and Scott, I wanna I wanna say one thing real quick. When you sent me a copy of the book, you included a little password manager booklet with it. And when I gave the book and the workbook and the crayons and the password manager to my mom, she was like, Oh, this is actually really handy. I thank you for this. And 
just that one little thing was so such a big deal to her that I was I felt like a bad son that I hadn't helped her figure out a better way to store passwords before that. So they like, were dealing with your fourteen hundred. That's it. Fourteen yeah. hundred is pretty ominous, I must say. But I think that the difference is even if you simplify it, somebody has a small number of passwords, it creates the go-to spot that in their mind they have confidence. I have it written down. It's not on a sticky note or under the keyboard, this or that. And again, I preach one other thing. Don't just write them down in your book and leave them around. I have some of my more secure passwords. I write them down in my black book. They're locked in a safe, locked in an office, locked in a building with camera systems and alarms. So again, layers of security are very effective. And that's true about anything. I, I always try to relate to people. Do you lock your front door? Sure you do. Do you put up a deadbolt on it? Yeah. You probably have an alarm and you have cameras and you got those fake alarm stickers and you put a, a Fido bowl out front. They think you have a big dog. A lot of it is perception, but what's, what's the important thing? Layers of security tell cyber criminals to go somewhere else, go hack somewhere else, get into their account, steal information. Same true as a thief, a physical thief breaking into our house. They go, they do a quick check. Within five seconds, they say, no easy vulnerability that I can exploit here. I'm moving on to the neighbor's house. It's the same common sense principle. So I think if, when I encourage people to just think about security from a different perspective, that layered approach, you're really just kind of creating a deterrent. Whether it's true or a perception, it doesn't matter. That the key is that you want to make them go on to the next target or give up at least focusing in on you. That's practical and that's powerful. Good. They can still use a simple password manager, but they may need some help from somebody that's a little more experienced. Like you mentioned, you use a password manager for your 1400 passwords or whatever. You may want to sit down with your grandparents or your parents and say, look, here's one I use. Here's a more simple version, or let me step you through it and let's create a password together and make it fun. Then they'll start to adopt it and it may actually be very successful. Well, Scott, I think that that point you made about the relationship between physical and cybersecurity is really important. Uh, if people are interested, they should check out episode 41 of the Cybertraps podcast. Our guest for that was Verna Bila, who runs Abila Security, and he talks at length about that relationship, which I think it's really critical. As, as we kind of begin to wrap things up here, though, I wanted to get your thoughts on something you touched on at the beginning, which is the family dynamics, if you will, of dealing with these kinds of situations. It seems to me that in terms of helping our older relatives and soon our older selves in dealing with all of this, that the psychological piece is at the core of this, right? Because we're dealing with individuals who have had autonomy and had independence for a long period of time. Now they're confronted by technology that challenges that, even if they're relatively savvy and by, you know, just life changes that make it more difficult. So given the research you've done and to some extent, your own personal experience, what's the best way that people can approach what are fairly difficult conversations? Yeah, I think starting that conversation earlier, the younger the senior is, the better it is that you have those regular conversations. A point was brought up earlier about it. It's awkward when it's time to take away the car keys. I, I had that conversation with my mother-in-law 
after she, she ran through a red light, after she got into a few accidents and I was very concerned, both myself and my wife, it was a hard conversation to have. And from the perspective, not that it was wrong that she should drive, that was clear. There's a tremendous amount of guilt that you have. So what's important to do there is to be able to have the conversation and I think raising it out, explaining it. And what we tried to do is to say, you know what, you're in New Jersey, insurance is really expensive here. We're right down the road from you. Think of how much money you can save. You can now store stuff in your garage or your garden tools and not have that car in the way anymore, not worrying about getting gas and insurance and maintenance and everything else. Or down the road, we could pick you up. You have a lot of friends. So sometimes having the conversation ahead of time, it's still, I feel cool when you take those keys away. That's got to be one of the hardest things. You're, you're, you're taking away somebody's independence. And in a sense, it's almost like a role reverting back to maybe a child. And, and that could be a difficult thing. But really to the point is having the conversations early and being part of the solution, not just telling them I'm taking away the keys, but no, no, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do this together. Let's sell the car together and you make sure you go over. One thing we, we strove to do as, as uh, the mo- our mother-in-law went into um, assisted living and then, and then finally a nursing home was every weekend we went over as a family to make sure we visited. We called throughout the week, even if it was just to say, hey, how's your day? What'd you have for lunch? What's new? And she always would laugh and go, nah, same old, you know how it is here, nothing new. But, but that period of time was about seven years. It was hard. But it was interesting. I think we grew closer to her over those seven years. And more importantly, my children did. They got to see grandma. So I think that's important that you grow close in conversations, not just about cyber, but just really in general. That's very important. So if you're not communicating regularly and you just show up to, you know, plug the password into someone's email and say, ah, they'll never get it or, or try to fix their smartphone and unlock it. And you just kind of roll your eyes. That's really not a solution. You're kind of enabling them and distancing them from technology. If if you embrace it and say, you know what, let's do this together. I like doing that. I'll sit down with my father often. Let's go through and do some password management, fix this problem here, and we'll document it so you're comfortable with it. And a couple of times you came back and you'd say, you know what, it made total sense. You stepped through it really slow. You explained it. I got my cheat sheet. It's locked up. I pull it out. You took some screenshots for me. I got this now. Don't worry. I won't bug you anymore. I said, no, it's okay. Don't feel bad that you have to make that call and bug me. I want you to call me because it's going to prevent something a lot worse that potentially could happen. Yeah, I really appreciate that advice. And one of the things that was really great for me and my other cousins was when my years before my grandpa died, we were driving them around to do grocery shopping. And every Saturday, we just rotate through the cousins and kids of my grandparents and somebody else would go. And those times of going shopping with them was a lot of fun. Uh, and we grew closer and they were really beneficial to do. Thankfully, you know, they had eight kids. So there were a lot of grandkids around, right at <laughs> but it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. And those, those things, I think, I think that's really key. Don't just take away their independence, but continue building that relationship and, and continue to do that. And I just think it's funny, Fred, don't you think also that he said, need to start having the conversation 
at a younger age. And that's what we say about technology with kids. <laughs> now start having the conversation younger. I, I flag that. And so we now have a universal rule. Just start yeah. these conversations early. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yep. That's well, that's well done, Scott. Thank you for um, obviously being on the podcast, but also for drawing a bright line underneath our major themes, which we really appreciate. Um, that's just a bonus. Thank you guys so much for having me. Highly appreciate it. Excellent. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Cybertraps podcast. In the coming weeks, we will continue our coverage of emerging trends in a variety of areas, including digital misconduct, cyber safety, cybersecurity, privacy, and the challenges of high-tech children and parenting. <laughs> Along the way, we'll talk to our growing collection of international experts who are helping us to understand the risks and the rewards of digital technology. You can find the Cybertraps podcast on all your favorite podcast players. We hope that you have enjoyed this show. And if you'd like to give us suggestions or feedback, please reach out. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to follow us on Twitter, I'm at Jethro Jones. Fred is at Cybertraps. And you can reach Scott at scottshoberg.com. If you're still listening, you must have loved this episode like we did. So if that's the case, please leave us a five-star rating and review in your podcast player of choice. And we look forward to seeing you for our live show on Monday. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE. Do you want to save time on prep work, increase student achievement for all of your students, reliably meet tier one standards? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to ixl.com B to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve these goals. That's ixl.com slash B-E.